Hey folks, coming in hot with a little ad uh, for myself in my upcoming book. If you like this podcast, you are definitely going to like the book I wrote based on it. Unruly Figures, 20 Tales of Rebels, Rule Breakers, and Revolutionaries covers several people that I've never covered on the podcast. From queens of piracy in the Mediterranean to rebellious artists in New York to aboriginal resistance leaders in Tasmania, this book is full of rebellious folks you may have never heard of. It comes out wherever books are sold on March 5th. Pre-order it now. Link is in the show notes. This podcast is supported by Ritual. So, y'all, remember how I was in the hospital back in July? Well, it's time for me to admit that it was because I ate bad sushi. So embarrassing. I should have listened to my gut and not bought sushi at that random grocery store. Afterward, my stomach was so messed up from like weeks of antibiotics that I knew I needed to get a new probiotic added to my regimen. That's when my friend told me about Ritual Vitamins. They have Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic that can help support a balanced gut microbiome. I started taking Ritual right away, and the upset stomach that I was getting most afternoons went away. I love that Ritual packs so much good stuff into one minty capsule. And these vitamins don't need to be refrigerated, so it's like really easy to take with you when you travel, and y'all know I travel a lot. It's time to listen to your gut. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com backslash unruly to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com backslash U-N-R-U-L-Y for 30% off. Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Unruly Figures, the podcast that celebrates history's greatest rule breakers. I'm your host, Valerie Clark, and I'm so happy to be back in the saddle recording an episode for you all. You might notice a few changes around the podcast this season. I've changed the subscription structure on Substack, and I'll be introducing interviews with historians and other experts along the way. Naturally, I have to thank you all for making season one of Unruly Figures such a success. It means a lot that you all listen. And I also need to give a huge thank you to all the paying subscribers on Substack who make this podcast possible. Katie, Anna, Hunter, Jim, Daniel, Casey, John, Andrew, Stefan, Skylar, Elizabeth, Honor, Michael, and Rada. Y'all are the best. If you want to support Unruly Figures and my mission to make exciting history more available to folks, you can do that at unrulyfigures.substack.com. That's also where you'll find episode transcripts, photos, and more. All right, let's hop in. Today, I'm going to be covering one of the earliest rulers in history, Queen Kubaba. She is history's earliest known female ruler, the only woman to be named on the Sumerian king list, and one of the few women to have ever ruled Mesopotamia in her own right. All of this was happening around 25th century BCE, so some of the dates and information is like hard to come by. Um, she ruled either in the third dynasty of Kish or the fourth. Um, her epithet on the king list remembers her as, quote, the woman tavern keeper who made firm the foundations of Kish. You might be wondering, what is the king list and is it still being updated? The answer to the second half is no. But the list itself is composed of several clay tablets inscribed with cuneiform writing. Put together, the list contains records of all the ancient rulers of Mesopotamia, grouping them into family dynasties and tracking the rise and fall of various city-states. For a long time, the king list was taken at face value, but to be honest, the reliability of it has lately come into question. As we'll see, the lengths of reigns on the list are occasionally fanciful at best. Some rulers on it apparently ruled for like thousands of years. These time spans possibly represent something like cultural markers of importance of the ruler themselves, not legitimate lengths of their reigns. 
The list also isn't all-inclusive. It, it leaves off key cities in Sumer that we know were significant, which was probably a politically motivated act. But for our purposes today, we can hold on to the fact that the names of the rulers were probably substantiated elsewhere, even if the lengths of their reigns were not. Now, Queen Kubaba. We know she lived in Kish, Sumer, which is today called Iraq. Kish was an ancient city-state in Mesopotamia. The city-states of, uh, city of Sumer had a complicated politics of power. The cities struggled against one another, and whoever emerged as most powerful would claim kingship over uh, the other kings of all the cities in Sumer. They didn't unseat other kings, but became sort of like kings of kings. This was seen as divine will. The gods could give your city power, and they could take it away. Kish was the first Sumerian city-state to hold power after a great mythical flood, which I'm sure is a story that you're familiar with. But power eventually moved on and then came back, reflecting military might or economic centers or the will of the gods, whatever you like to believe. So Kubaba ruled during the third dynasty of Kish, or the third time that Kish, or that Kish came out on top in this power struggle. In fact, she's the lone member of the third dynasty, which is a big deal, and I'm going to come back to it later. Importantly, the king list refers to Kubaba as Lugal, the word for king, not as Eresh, the word for queen. This is how we know that she ruled in her own right, she wasn't just a queen consort. Unfortunately, not much of about her life is known, though. She did live over 4,000 years ago, so it's, not, it's to be expected that a lot of detail would be lost to time. But according to the king list, before ruling Mesopotamia, Kubaba was a brewer and a tavern owner. Some might see this as lower class, and in Sumer, working in a tavern would later be associated with prostitution, but this wasn't the case for her. At the time, beer brewers were actually highly respected business owners in their community. Carol R. Fontaine wrote, quote, Given the association of Inar Ishtar, the goddess, with the tavern and the sweet, sexual, wine to be drunk there, as well as female ownership of taverns and involvement with the process of brewing, we should now assume Kubaba to be some sort of we should not assume Kubaba to be some sort of prostitute, but a successful businesswoman with divine associations herself. End quote. In fact, beer was seen as the beverage of the gods and a gift to that from them to humanity. Many beer brewers were women, and they came from all social classes. Because she could have come from any class, it's very possible that Kubaba was of noble birth, though a lot of people like to emphasize the possibility that she might have been a commoner and that this might be a rags-to-riches sort of story. This tale might even have been emphasized during the fourth dynasty of Kish, when her son Puzer Suen and grandson Urzubaba ruled after her. The story might have made the populace more supportive of her family's power because they would see the queen and her line as rising from the common ranks, almost as one of their own. In my research, I saw some people calling her the first Cinderella. It's easy to wonder if Kubaba is similar to the historical Theodora who met a young Justinian when she was a lowly actress and he was a prince. He changed the laws so he could marry her and they later ruled Byzantium. Did Kubaba marry a prince who became king only to die and leave her as the ruler? We don't know. We, we don't have anything confirmed about how she came to rule because we're going off of everything that's just on this, this tablet, right? Um, it's certainly possible that it happened this way, but because there's also the equal possibility that she came from noble birth, I don't want to emphasize this rags to riches story too much. In fact, because she's listed as the only member of the Third Dynasty, I don't think this story really works. She came to power with Kish's resurgence and prominence. If she had a husband who died and left her to rule after the city-state had gained power, I would assume that he would have been named alongside her on the king list. One source sort of vaguely says that she, like, seized the throne, making her a usurper, but it doesn't give any more detail than this. Considering that power in ancient Sumeria transferred through 
basically repeated usurpations and as city-states struggled for dominance, I have to wonder if the seizure of the throne is just kind of an ominous take on how power was already won back then. Nevertheless, we do have a couple of other ancient sources for her existence, so we know she did exist in rule. On a different version of the Sumerian king list, sometimes also called the Chronicle of the Single Monarchy, she's mentioned again, quote, at Kish Kubaba, the innkeeper, the one who strengthened the foundations of Kish was king, end quote. Though that source also goes on to say that she reigned for a hundred years, which is clearly fanciful and propagandistic, it's at least another record substantiating her ruling status. Again, she was not a queen consort. She was, you know, king, sort of. She was the ruler. The Widener Chronicle also mentions her. It says, quote, Kubaba gave food and water to the fishermen, the fish he delivered with haste to Esagil. The great lord Marduk looked upon her with joy and said, so be it. He handed over to Kubaba sovereignty over all the lands. The god Marduk, who the temple at Esagil was dedicated to, was the deity who had established order at the beginning of time in um, Sumerian kind of mythology. So aligning Kubaba with him might have given her legitimacy similar to the idea of a divine right to rule. Bread and water, of course, are also the ingredients of beer, the divine gift from the gods. So this story and her role as a beer brewer link her with the idea of divine gifts and divine rule. Some people also think that this story of Kubaba being rewarded with rulership for giving generously was told to encourage other people to be generous as well. It was traditional in Sumer to reward acts of piety somehow, and another article suggests that the Widener Chronicle is really what the Widener Chronicle is really saying is that after she made this great donation of beer to fishermen, the mortal king of Akshak, Puzer Nira, ceded dominance in Sumer to her. Of course, the Widener Chronicle is viewed by many as quote a blatant piece of propaganda. The whole point of the narrative is to illustrate that those rulers who neglected or insulted Marduk or failed to provide fish offerings for the temple at Esagil had an unhappy end. End quote. So. Uh, you know, is the Widener Chronicle reliable? Uh, not really. I mean, it's telling us that a god gave her the throne, but uh, I think that she had the throne and, and was doing pious acts and good for the community is something that we can take from that nevertheless. Her rule was characterized by peace and prosperity. Her epithet on the king list says she, quote, made firm the foundations of Kish, which sounds to me like building projects and developing the economy. The list doesn't go into detail, unfortunately, but I think we can assume that whatever Kubaba did, it was good for Kish. Good enough, in fact, for the real length of her reign to be blurred. The tablet claims she ruled for a hundred years, which we all know can't possibly be factual. It's more likely that she was so beloved that the length of her reign was extended out as homage to her. Other ancient and beloved rulers on the list have reigns for like over 40,000 years, so the length of time possibly reflects the recorder's view of the ruler as much as it records actual real history. Despite the fact that Kubaba was a well-respected ruler, there were no female Sumerian rulers after her. In fact, men actively discouraged women from ruling, invoking ideas of unnatural behavior. The Sumerian omen of Kubau, who ruled the land, is the birth of an intersex, chi intersex child, which was seen as bad luck because it transgressed roles around sex and gender. The omen is understood by some as a response to Kubaba's reign. You know, it's worth noting Kubaba's name is sometimes written as Kubau. So this is talking about how um, the Kubau who ruled the land is this bad omen. She's linked with the supposed bad omen because as a female ruler, she had blurred the boundaries of sex and gender in quote-unquote unnatural ways that these ancient Sumerians might have thought that an intersex child might. It's not great, but then what? when is the patriarchy ever? 
Even in Sumerian mythology, female goddesses didn't always have a lot of power. In the story of Nurgle and Urshkigal, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing those incorrectly, the goddess of the netherworld, Urshkigal, is, um, is depicted as a powerful and autonomous woman, but also that this is, quote, intolerable and unacceptable. She must, because she is a woman, cede the throne to Nurgle, her god husband, or at any rate, share it with him. Ershkigal, at some point, offers Nurgle both, quote, unconditional surrender and her hand in marriage. So we get the point, or we get the picture that these two necessarily go hand in hand. A, a woman cannot be married and dominant. So with this as the ruling mythology, it's not hard to see where these ominous ideas of Kubaba as a dangerous woman would come from. Kubaba is also often confused with the later goddess, also called Kubaba, or Sibeli, who guarded a city called Carchemish, then later was worshipped in Greco-Roman cults. The confusion is understandable. She was occasionally depicted as a deity in reliefs, and the records say she ruled for 100 years, which is fanciful and impossible. Some historians suggest that the real ruler was deified after her death because she was so beloved, but there's some dispute around that because of timing and the way her name would have had to have evolved. According to American archaeologist William F. Albright, the prefix Ku meant holy, adding fuel to the confused conflagration here. If Kubaba did inspire the goddess, then she was seen as, quote, a great mother of the gods and was worshipped by cults 3,000 years after her death. After Kukubaba's reign, however long it may have lasted, rule was transferred to the city of Akshak, but it was soon returned to Kish and her son Puzer Suen ruled as king for 25 years. His son, Urzubaba, ruled after him for another six years, making her dynasty 131 years long. And that, short as it was, is the story of Queen Kubaba, the beer brewer who became queen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unruly Figures. If you did, please tell a friend about it. You can also let me know your thoughts by following me on Twitter and Instagram as Unruly Figures or joining us over on Substack. If you have a moment, please give this show a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It really does help other folks find this work. Thanks for listening. Thank you to everyone who has liked and subscribed to Unruly Figures. I'm told that this is where credits go, but Unruly Figures is researched, written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, all by myself. So if you are into supporting independent artists, please share this with at least one person you know. If you're feeling really generous, rate this show and leave a review for Unruly Figures on Apple Podcasts. It really does help other people find this work. If you want to subscribe, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Unruly Figures. Come hang out. If you want to see photos related to today's episode, come find this episode's transcript on Substack. It'll be full of photos. While there, you can also subscribe for ad-free episodes and behind-the-scenes content. That's all going to be at unrulyfigures.substack.com. That's U-N-R-U-L-Y-F-I-G-U-R-E-S dot S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Until next time, stay unruly. Mm-hmm.